verses 12 and 21, which is the Old Testament reading. And usually there is some connection that we can infer from the Old Testament to the New Testament passage that I'll be preaching on. Regardless of whether there is a connection, we know that God's Word is God's Word. It is inerrant and infallible and active. It is as a double-edged sword. The Holy Spirit this morning is working with this Word in our hearts. So we submit to Him as we now give our attention to God's Word. Verse 12 in Deuteronomy 10. But now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord your God belongs to heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Now, compared to the New Testament on page 9, 42, and 43, the book of Romans is where we're going. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read here a couple of different passages from Romans 6 and then from Romans 7. I'll begin at Romans chapter 6 at the end of the first two there. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now jump over there in the next column in chapter 7. Verses 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which no 
we thank you for this same spirit that dwells us, Lord God. Lead us in all truth as we consider this passage. Give us eyes to see, we pray, good spirit. Let our hearts be enlightened to the truths that are here. We pray that for the parents of the going to children's church with Chris. We ask that they consider this passage that you too will enlighten their hearts to see the glorious Savior that is presented here. So we submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, that you may move in us and show us again the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We concluded our study of the Gospel of Mark last week, and we did so fittingly, I think, by considering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to think this morning, so what? So what if Jesus was raised from the dead? What does that have to do with me this morning? What does that have to do with you? Two thousand years after Jesus now bodily reigns in heaven for our good. What does his resurrection, though, really have to do with me and you? What practical import does it have in our lives? You know what I mean. I mean, we talked a good bit about his death on the cross and how that punishment that he took freed us from God's punishment for our sin. He died for our sins. He died for us. The cross we know, but the empty tomb. What does it mean? Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, somebody will. We're going to think about that this morning and for the next few weeks. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus has profound practical implications for the way you and I live every moment of our lives. We're going to see that this morning and throughout our brief study. Primarily giving our attention to Romans chapter 12. But this morning we have to do a little bit of heavy lifting, a little bit of Groundwork to understand what Paul is getting at in Romans 12. We'll read that in a minute. We're going to spend the next few weeks thinking about what the Bible has to say to you and me about our relationship with each other. Did you know that the resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with how you live in relationship with other people, whether that's your spouse or your children or your extended family or the person sitting next to you this morning? We'll see that this morning. We'll see that looking at a passage that speaks clearly and concisely, if you think about it potentially, we'll see how it has a radical kind of face-to-face and living community sort of thrust to it. And we'll be looking at Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, the next few weeks. The thing that makes that particular passage so stunning for us is that it is just chock full of imperatives. We're going to get to it in just a minute, but I want to lay a little bit of groundwork 
The central focus of chapter 6 is shaped by verse 2. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? That's what Paul's asking. In other words, the reality is that believers have died to sin and have been made alive to God, to righteousness. If that's true of you, then even how can we who have died to sin still live in sin? So if you look at Romans 12 and even seek to understand what it means to be a Christian, the question for us is this. How are we to understand relationally as we live with one another this death to sin and this living now in Christ to righteousness? How does that play itself out in our relationships with one another? In order for us to take Paul's commands, these imperatives in Romans 12, seriously, we need to understand the new identity stuff that he's talking about in chapter 6 and 7, how we now exist in kind of a whole new realm of reality, our identity has fundamentally changed. So let me frame the question again. How are we to understand this death to sin and a life to God in Christ that Paul is talking about here? How does that make any difference to me? Well, first, negatively, what we need to see is that Romans 6 does not, and I want you to hear this with me, it doesn't have to do with the guilt of the sin we still struggle with. Or that the guilt of sin has been put to death. This was Paul's primary concern in chapter 5. The guilt of sin, how God, the justifying us, took that away. Paul in chapter 6 is no longer talking about the guilt of sin. He dealt with that as he talked about the justification we have in Jesus. The issue now in chapter 6 is not sin as guilt as we experience it, but sin now is a controlling power over the lives of those in Christ. The issue in Romans 6 is this. Who is the Lord for the Christian? Who is Jesus for you? Is it sin? No. Is it God and righteousness? Yes, it is. But picking up in verse 11, we see this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what Paul's saying is that this is who you are. You are in Christ. You have been made dead with him and alive in him. That's your identity. Now, Christian believers, you must see yourself that way. He's saying this is personal. This is a reality describing our union. You must consider yourselves, Paul says. It connects me with verse 10, the experience of Jesus. Dying to sin once for all and living to God. And there's no need around the challenge to this for us to think this way. But we must, if we submit ourselves to God's word. Romans 6.10 reads, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You then, yourselves must think of yourself that way. Because you're united to this one who is dead and made alive. This once for all of us. Died to the controlling power of sin once for all applies to believers as well, which Paul captures in using the phrase in Christ. He uses that phrase over and over and over again. And so when you see it, when you see the phrase in Christ, you can take that for Christ. So also this is true for me as one who is in them. So just as Jesus died to sin once for all, we too must consider ourselves dead to sin, meaning the controlling power of sin has been put to death for those who rest in Jesus. Having 
salvation spiritually lies because of who we are. The indicative, the indicative of God working within us both to will and to do. Who are we? We are people who have God and Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we work in cooperation with Him. Out of that identity statement that was consistent with us, the call, the command, must always go with the identity statement. So every single one of us in here this morning, I can confidently say, struggle toward a faithful Christian lives. We continually fail to live consistent with who we are. As we move into Romans 12, 9 to 21, we will together be reminded again and again of how we fail in the area of community relationships. Our glorious hope is the reality that we live now in a new realm, a new sphere where we have been made dead to sin and now are alive in Christ. We have been made new people. We now live in a resurrection life. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can really live as Paul calls us to live in Romans 12, 9 to 21. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when we fail, when we will, repentance is going to look like, oh yeah, I remember who I am now. I'm not this guy who is now being dominated by the sins of the flesh. Like I just gave myself over to as if that was real. I'm this guy who's now being dominated by the Spirit of God, who I now submit to in life, and now I endeavor to walk in new obedience. That's who I am. And my repentance then will look like a different walk. Not this slacking towards the sin that used to reign over me, but this confident walk of who I am in Christ Jesus, our glorious hope, is that the reality that we now live. In Christ Jesus becomes more and more sure in the hearts of his people. We see our failure to live consistently in Romans 12. We have the grace of repentance. We are given the immense privilege of being made aware of where we fall short, where we live inconsistent with our new identity. This is where our healthy, confident repentance will take place. That's my prayer as we begin a short series of Romans 12. As we begin to think now of what's required of us in relationship with one another. God will use his word to show us where we fail, to convict us, and in that conviction, change us to look more and more like who we truly are in him. This is about God changing our hearts. This is about God continuing the work that he has already begun. We are now ruled by the Lord Jesus, and are partnering with him in this work of sanctification. And where we fail to believe that by faith, that's when we sin, and we begin more and more as said before, to begin to see ourselves as the new creatures he's created us to be, and that we will endeavor to live consistently with the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 9 through following will show us, in fact, how the Spirit of God will do that in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for how you have taken this genius of Paul and his understanding of our union with Christ and how you have preserved it for us in the book of Romans. We thank you, Father, for the hope of the gospel that we have to continually come back to over and over and over again. What is true of us seems so often not to be lived out in our lives. So many of us this morning can look back at our lives and just recently in the past few days and see how we have lived inconsistently see how we have not believed that we are united to Christ and we sit with Him in heaven, that we are resurrected people, that we have been made new creations. 
by the grace of the Lord Jesus in our lives that he will lead us, he will consistently us our identity in him to submit ourselves to him for all we see. Amen.